Are you looking to change your destiny in life? Be your own boss? Start your own business? If you are, you need people who understand your needs and are committed to helping you make it happen. At DKP & Co Chartered Accountants, we are more than just accountants. We are business advisors, taxation consultants, and strategists that specialised in setting up businesses. We understand the client and give them the very best customised advice and strategies to achieve their goals. Visit our website, dkpco.com.au, or give us a call today on 03 9023 9370. Fast, proactive, personal. That's DKP and Co Chartered Accountants. Since 1998, Lanco Group has been providing superior civil engineering solutions and advice to developers, local government and service authorities across Australia. Lanco Group is known for delivering sustainable, efficient solutions. By working closely with clients, Lanco Group is able to meet the complex infrastructure requirements for residential, commercial and industrial developments on time, on budget. Find out more at lancogroup.com.au. Lanco Group, your business partner for engineering solutions. Maloney takes, and it's in! It's Ben Watson! It's Ben Watson for Wigan Athletic! They've surely won the FA Cup! For Dave Whelan! For Roberto Martinez! You just cannot write scripts like You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Hello again, George Danikian, joined by uh, Lockie Flanagan, who's actually manning the console and making sure that we uh, uh, not only start the program properly, but finish it as well. Uh, I was just listening to that uh, little teaser, you know, talking about... You cannot write a script like that. I bet you there are a bundle of sports directors, uh, also, um, uh, you know, club committeemen who are working really hard in this uh, early preseason of the A-League, 2022-2023, and they are thinking to themselves, what script do you think we can mount or write for our clubs this year? And amongst them will be MacArthur Bulls, who are looking very much Indeed. at getting back on track. They had a season yes. of injuries. They had a season of disappointment. The coach left and so on. So the MacArthur Bulls, as we know them, uh, the new club out of New South Wales, very keen to not only make an impact but continue to make waves. And they've started uh, announcing some of their players and we will be talking to their sports director, Sam Krizlovich, very, very shortly. Uh, we're then reaching out to Simon Hill, yep, the voice of the game down under, to talk about uh, not only what beckons a new season, Network 10, what did they learn from their last season? And there'll be many of you telling me and Lockie, oh, they need to learn plenty. Uh, and the answer is, is, of course, that they uh, there were mitigating circumstances, but like any business entity, they need to make amends. They need to make adjustments, and they are doing that. And we'll find out just what they're doing. Yeah. And then we'll catch up with a mate of mine uh, who's been watching the cricket, actually. Um, and I said to him, oh, that's an easy task. That, that test match uh, between Australia and Sri Lanka didn't last long. Uh, let's see what the second test uh, brings in, in Sri Lanka. 
Then test number two, Australia and Sri Lanka starting on Friday. But he also is a huge uh, sporting fan. Uh, he's an old teacher. Uh, they they love imparting uh, knowledge. Um, his yes. name's Stuart Thomas, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him a little bit later in the bulletin. So stay with us. Uh, an interesting hour coming up with three special guests. And Lockie, what was the most interesting thing that um, um, it, I suppose impacted on you other than what's going on at Wimbledon and uh, Nick Kyrgios and the adventure and the carnival around that. What else has been going on that please you? And by the way, the only reason I mentioned Nick is because I need to remind you that Nick Kyrgios, uh, Kyrgios and a young uh, woman who plays, you know, who's played some wonderful tennis in Britain, her name is uh, uh, Emma Raducanu. Uh, both Spurs fans. Well, you didn't really need to let me know that. You oh, wanted to let Absolutely. me know that. That's, there's, a very, there's a very, very big Two difference Two outstanding there. young talents, uh, you know, making making serious waves, and both Spurs fans, along with Adele. So our celebrity team might might stack up pretty well against anything you throw up from Arsenal. It's 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 quite <laughs> possible. I think we've got one of the princes though, if me- if memory serves me <clears> correctly. But um. Yeah, let's 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 not get too too Carried deep into away. that. I tell you what, I tell you what did excite me this weekend. All Obviously, right. we already had the uh, the Australia Cup draw this time last week when we were speaking. Absolutely, but all the fixtures have been confirmed now, so it's nice to see that we're going to have you know football it, back. It's starting as, to as, gel. Isn't well, it? as, so, as soon as yeah. the the twenty first of July, our Bentley Greens and the Broadmeadow Magic will be. I think the the first game of the round of thirty two. And you mentioned Bentley Greens, who have on a couple of different occasions made quite uh, an impact and, and launched a, a serious campaign in what was the old FFA Cup. Yeah, absolutely. So to see them, who are they playing up first? They're playing Broadmeadow Magic, who are, hey. if I'm not mistaken, a side they met a few years ago in the round of 16. So And, and they beat them on the day pretty comprehensively, if I remember. So, okay, so. they'll fancy their chances of, uh, of getting to the quarters and... Yeah, maybe, maybe even uh, we'll get into the round of sixteen, and may, maybe so. Even another further, campaign in the wind. That. They haven't had look. They haven't had the best NPL Victoria season, but they are still in the hunt of making the top six, which we all know anyone in the top six can win the grand final. Sure, uh, and they're you know they're it's almost um, they've almost got the Australia Cup DNA, don't they? They do, they do, they do. And uh, can I just say the other club that uh, tends to do it is out of New South Wales, and it's Harpier. Yes. And they, every time there's a campaign, they seem to be able to put a team together. And they have, we, we've said it before, the DNA. Um, well, unfortunately, they won't, be, they won't be featuring in the, in well, the national rounds this you're, season. You're allowed, you're allowed to, to, to make the occasional yeah, so miss. Some, some years you have less, uh, yeah. less Australia Cup DNA than others. Yeah, That's yeah, understandable. Yeah, yeah. But just getting back to Bentley Greens, what have you made of them thus far? Um, how does the, the, the team actually come together? Well, it's it's interesting. They've they've come off the back of a, a difficult few weeks in the league where they have uh, struggled to to find the back of the net. Two back to back nil all draws, but they washed all that away last Friday night with a four nil win over Green Gully, who were at the time were in fourth place. So they are one point out of the top six now. Uh, they've closed the gap to Gully. So they're I think probably probably lifting themselves back up at the right time. I think on a few occasions this season. Um, Having players feature consistently has been a bit of a difficult, uh, bit, been a bit of an issue for them. They've yep. had a few injuries to, to crucial players, uh, particularly Pierce Waring, who was really the standout for them at the start of the season, was was banging the goals in, and then since then has has sort of been in and out of the side. But I think once they they put all the pieces together, Bentley, they yep. are a really really strong side, and I think Nick Tolios, their coach, is a 
uh, a big, big talent in Victorian football, to be honest with you. And look, I, I fancy them if they if they get past Broadmeadow Magic and get into into the round of sixteen, potential to to maybe face an A League opponent like Heidelberg are doing yep. uh, against Brisbane Raw. I think they're one of those sides that 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 can step up because of the way they play, the possession based system. You know, they're a team that likes to knock the ball around the park. Those kind of sides usually do stack up quite well against A League opponents. It makes the the jump for them is a, is a little no, bit easier, point. I find. Good point. I, I noticed that Heidelberg had a banana uh, skin that they slipped on the other day. Yeah. Leading 2-0 oh. against South Melbourne. Uh, they've, all, they've had great uh, competition uh, over the years with, um, you know, well, South I, Melbourne. and I, I was at that, that game. The and Nike what did you FC. make of this? Well, the, the Nike FC Cup final um, for, for the women on the day, it was... It was a crazy game, really, because because going into this uh, South Melbourne's MPLW side who who played this game against Heidelberg, coming into the game, for those of you who don't know, Heidelberg sitting in second, yep. uh, still a fair bit behind Calder, who have only conceded four goals in the MPLW Victoria this season, uh, but clearly best of the rest behind sure, Calder sure, sure. Uh, by a considerable distance. South Melbourne going into this game, meanwhile, had lost four consecutive games. The finals <laughs> looked a mile away. They sacked... There or sorry, mutually agreed to part ways yes. with their coach yeah, on I the day saw that. on the day of the semi final. Yeah. On the day of the semi final, their under nineteens coach George Georgiadis uh, took the helm as he will do for the rest of the season in an interim capacity. So you're looking at those two storylines going into the semi final, and you're thinking there is no chance, no chance whatsoever that South Melbourne. I have, have told have you got before, a hope in hell of winning this game. I have told you before the ball is round. Well, and and. <laughs> And it was a it was a massive the whole upset pretty much hinged on this colossal sliding doors moment in the first half where at two nil up Heidelberg uh, were really really in control of the game they brought a really strong uh, high press that South was struggling to deal with and Danielle Weiss who is the competition's equal top goal scorer at the moment alongside her teammate Steph Galea missed an open goal an open goal to make it three nil. And within two minutes, uh, Jana Lawson scored this ridiculous goal. It was a, it was a sort of a, a cross come shot, if you will. Uh, oh, if we've you, seen if, a few if, of if those. If you remember uh, Mate Duganzic in the Melbourne Derby, and yep. I think twenty fourteen or something, yep. just this looping cross that goes all the way in right before the half time, and then from there, that that must have just given then the belief, even though they were still behind, that South Melbourne needed. They went into the break. It must have been an incredible team talk, and out they out they came, and uh, it was. Grace Taranto, who scored the equaliser very early on, and then towards the end of the game, Georgia Candelis making it 3-2. So uh, really, uh, all things considered, a remarkable result for for South Melbourne given the the month they had leading into it. And maybe that just gives them a, a belief heading into the, the, the crunch of the season and also a, a sign of what this team is actually capable of because there is some A-League women's level talent in this in this team that I think would admit. And uh, we actually had Francesca Yamano, one of the yep. uh, Melbourne Victory and South Melbourne uh, crossover players, if you will, join us a few nights ago on um, on Radio Dub. And she said as much. This this team is, is capable of achieving more than it has. On paper, they're one of the best sides in the league. And, yeah, maybe this is the performance that uh, finally shows them what they're actually capable of. What have I said to you about be playing games on paper? We don't play them on paper. Yeah, we set them down on paper. We give everyone a chance to, to look at the games, but they're 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 played on the pitch, in real conditions mm. and in real time. And so many things can occur, and we've seen it time and time again. 
and and yet we we are resistant to seeing what's in front of us sometimes. Uh, speaking of being resistant, we're not resistant to meeting our first guest. Is he with us yet? He isn't yet. We're still waiting okay, for, so uh, for Sam Krislovich to join us. Let's let's hope that we can get him up very shortly. The uh, sporting director at uh, uh, MacArthur Bulls. We want to talk about uh, some of the latest developments and some of the new uh, new personnel that uh, will be entering the club and looking to make an make an impact. And I noticed that was uh, one of the young men, and I want to talk about him when he comes on board. Um, uh, may well be one of those stories that uh, turns up and uh, gives a lot of people a huge um, um, smile because uh, there's a young man who's been very keen to ply a trade and, uh, you know, the courage of his convictions, he went overseas. I'm talking about young Anthony Carter. Uh, mm. Went to Italy, didn't know the language. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, the, the challenges that befell him. He ran into a young guy called Piscopo, Reno. Uh, they became good mates. He then got an j- opportunity to go and play the game in Romania, which again tested him, which is the normal uh, way that things happen when you set yourself on a path overseas to, to make a career. Uh, that, that injury or that, uh, that journey then took him to Portugal, um, played in the uh, Benf- uh, what was it uh, in the Benfica B, Benfica B- yeah the, the second division um, and of course from there he made his way to Asia to play for Bangkok United and suddenly we see his name turning up at the MacArthur Bulls I want to know a whole lot more uh, a mate of mine who knows players who understands the challenges that uh, many young footballers have to face uh, Lou Sticker um, was very keen to, uh, to support him and help him. And mm. he seems to have a pretty good team around him, a support team. Uh, let's see if it bears fruit because these are good stories, redemption stories like this, especially if he can stay away from injury, which is what has hurt his career over the years. Yeah, um, yeah look, uh, it'd be wonderful to see a young man put his hand up and announce himself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's bit of a, been a bit of a trend for MacArthur so far in this offseason, and they have been... A very active club, one of the most active, particularly in the as the they re- needed to be, particularly in the last week. But yeah, it's been a bit of a common theme: repatriating uh, Australian talents who have been plying their trade uh, overseas recently. Mm. Obviously, Anthony Carter, the one you mentioned, but Matt Miller, of course, is, uh, is yeah, back Miller. from back from his uh, stint in Scotland with St Mirren. I and, noticed uh, I noticed Josh Josh Parrish, uh, our our seasoned operative, mm. who spends a lot of his time these days in brand new track suits that um, have the markings of Preston on them. Yes, he's That's he's good. out there making an impact. Must be very nice. Uh, he announced some free merchandise. I was going to say he announced very quickly that Matt Miller was in the country. Could he be picked up by an A League club? Well, he has. It didn't. He? It didn't take very long. It didn't no. take very long, did it? But I, I think, um, I think that's a, a really, really good signing for Macarthur. To be honest, obviously, they were intending to, um, they were intending to, you know, have Lewis Miller join them for the season. Um, but of course, he was signed for a brief moment at Macarthur, yep. and then within a, a matter of seconds, uh, made the uh, terrible decision. Uh, in my own view, as a Hearts fan, to uh, to go across the years. Uh, I, I joke, uh, going to Scotland is a, is a good move, in my view. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. And when we come back, see if we've got uh, Sam Krislovich joining us from the MacArthur Bulls. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. 
George Danikian, uh, Lockie Flanagan, State of Our Football Nation is the programme. And joining us uh, all the way from uh, New South Wales via Zoom is um, the Sporting Director at the MacArthur Bulls, Sam Krizlovich. Uh, Sam, welcome. Technology, it's a wonderful thing if it works. Have we got Sam up Hello, yet? Sam. Do we have you there? Sam? Hello, Sam? Seems to uh, audio seems to be not connected at the uh, at the present moment, takes, but he's definitely it, there. He will be with us. There. Okay, we're waiting second. for Just the, the wonderful bits about technology. It takes a little while to uh, to engage and the audio connection to be made. And once that is uh, up and running, we'll be able to speak to uh, Sam about uh, absolutely. What's going and on. look, there's plenty of good things to be speaking to Sam about as well because we've mentioned all the uh, all the signings that Macarthur have made, and of course their coach. As well, yes. who they've signed up for this season is a bit of a bit of a marquee appointment. What I you guess. think? You think uh, Dwight York might uh, have a, a, an easy run at it because he's been here before? No, no, by no stretch of the imagination do I think that. But I think it's a, an exciting appointment. One oh, that I'm excited stuff. to uh, great profile to talk to Sam about as well. Sam, do we do we have you there now? I believe we do. Sorry, gentlemen. No, no, no stress whatsoever. Sam Krizlovich, how are you doing? Is it all that water? that's been falling on New South Wales, that's causing enormous upheaval even for our Zoom? Uh, it could be, mate, because we're actually, to be honest, we're actually uh, very close to the, the office is very close to the land, sadly, that's been flooded in Camden and surrounding areas again. Uh, how, tough has it, how's it, how tough has it been for uh, a great many of um, the areas around you? You're right in the middle of it well, from what I can, I, I can determine. Uh, look, it's you know obviously we know a lot of people in the area personally, and you know, we've met through the through the years who have been flooded for the third time in six months. George, you know livestock, restaurants, businesses, I mean all underwater. They you know they're, they're pretty resilient out here, but fortunately, I think unfortunately, I think it's you know, even this takes a toll both mentally and physically and financially. So, you know, um, you know the other day here I was in the office and. You know, it took me about three hours to get home. That, that just tells you what it, yeah. what it's Mate, like our, out here. Our, our thoughts are with all of you and the residents in the area and the uh, and the uh, people of New South Wales and uh, Queensland that have been affected seriously by uh, this in, uh, terribly inclement weather that's really taken a toll of uh, so many different parts of New South Wales. I, I can't believe the pictures. I'm a New South Wales boy. Uh, eastern suburbs, western suburbs uh, throughout the years. Um, I can remember times when um, uh, getting ready for uh, cricket season, it seemed like we were never playing because there were about nine weeks of constant rain and uh, and it did not fill me with a great deal of, uh, of pleasure. But to see so many people uh, really struggling and, as you touched on, uh, in real strife, uh, we can only hope they, they get the support they need, both from state level and federal level. New government needs to uh, make sure that um, it sets the the right tone. Uh, very difficult times, yes, because we're coming off a, a very awkward, what was uh, two years of pandemic, which nearly became three years of pandemic. Mm. Um, but there's so much to be done. Um, how are you guys coping? Because the new season is coming at us at a million miles an hour. We've got um, some interesting um, uh, uh, players that have, have just put their hand up to want to come back. And, of course, just down the road, uh, we've got um, uh, in 2023 
a, a phenomenal opportunity to take and showcase to the world the Women's World Cup when we share it and co-host it with New Zealand. So tremendous time to be in the game and um, a tremendous time to put some runs on the board. You guys have jumped early with some great names. What have you made of the, the, the movement and what have you made of some of the uh, new arrivals? Oh, obviously, um, you know, we're, we're, we're excited by the new arrivals. I mean, it's a pretty much a plan that was put into place before Ante left. So we had a plan of recruitment and what sort of players we needed to to strengthen the side. And, you know, for us, we've just continued along that way. Um, you know, I've made, I've made it on the record that we're a club with a plan that we stick to it. And regardless of who, who's a coach and comes in, doesn't come in, the recruitment still goes on the basis of what we've been doing for the last couple of years. The first time I saw the team last year or last season in the flesh, it was very different than watching you guys on TV. Very much physical, big, a, big, a lot of big units in that squad. Uh, have you added more big units or uh, have you tried to um, mix and match now with the quality that's available to you? No, look, I think our profile is, you know, we've gone with the strength and speed, you know, although we've gone for a bit of a younger age group. But, yep. I mean, if you look at the players, they're physically, well, you know, what's expected of the A-League. And uh, I think they're, you know, we're just evolving as a as a club and as a team through that path and, and plan we had from about three years ago. But uh, the, the point I was uh, trying to make is that they're very much bigger than they look on camera. Yeah, they are big boys. Yeah, they are. Yeah. You you feed them well, is what I'm saying, and that oh, is no that's no some bull. Of them, <laughs> some of them have less fat than a greyhound. So I don't know about that. <laughs> yes, some of them are very tall, 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 tall boys. Yes, yeah, big, big units, big units. Yes. Well, well Sam, yes, of course, you've got your processes for for who you sort of try to target in your recruitment, and that stays regardless of who the coach is. But leading these people at the end of the day will be. Uh, quite a headline name, known to pretty much everyone in the Australian game in in Dwight York. Now there was a a, a lot of fanfare, a lot of talk about this uh, about this appointment. Obviously, someone who has a, a really credentialed playing career has done his coaches badges, but hasn't had any you know distinct managerial experience uh, before being appointed as your head coach. What was it as you went through the process uh, leading up to the appointment of Dwight that you saw in him that you really liked and that sort of uh, Forced your or made your helped you make your decision to appoint him as your head coach. Well, there's a there's a number of things that go into making a head coach. Firstly, you know, the, I went and talked to a number of Aussie coaches, and um, before we proceeded to look at overseas coaches, and you know, quite frankly, you know, I personally wasn't wasn't comfortable with everyone doing the same thing. It's always over the same thing, you know. Albert Einstein said. Do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is the is a definition of insanity. So <laughs> everybody I spoke to had the same ideas, the same way, the this and that. And you know, I, I think the A League, to an extent, some some capacity has become too too stagnated and too the same sort of thing. So I thought, you know, well, let's think of new ideas, something different, someone outside the circle. And obviously, Dwight's name popped up. You know, he's 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 a guy with an extinguished play, distinguished playing career. He's done some coaching at junior level, and um, you know, why not give him? Why not you know? Why not try that? It's something different. Um, so, from my from my perspective, was let's 
see what happens. Look, the fact of the matter is, regardless of who we went with, would have been a rookie coach. That's fact. Mm. He, he wouldn't have been an experienced coach. He would have been a rookie coach. Whether we promoted from within, whether we took a system from another club, uh, he was always going to be someone who hasn't coached at, uh, at this. You wanted this fresh level. ideas, so you brought someone fresh into the into the mix. I like that idea, and we saw how he coped with that group of young A-League stars who took on Barcelona. That that was uh, appealing. And uh, what did you make of it? Yeah, I think, I think you know, look, having you looked at them, they were well organised, they were well structured. I think, you know, they, they had good motivation. You know, the, 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 there was good camaraderie in the team. And that's, you know, from what you see on the outset when you look at these sort of things, they're sort of, you know, that's, you know, tick the boxes that you're looking for. He let them run. And, and, and I'm reminded of the running of the Bulls. He let these young players uh, off the leash. And, and that's not easy to do against uh, the quality of a, of, a, of a team like or a, a set of players like Barca. No, it's not. It's not. But I think that, that, that epitomises what it was like that as a player. He played for a lot of free, free reign when he played it, you know, in his career. So I think yeah, that sort yeah. of epitomises his thought as, thought as a coach. You know, he let the players express themselves within reason, within structures. And, you know, we're hopeful that's what we will we, we will transition to throughout the course of the season. When's the first game? First game is, uh, ironically, in a lovely town of Queensland town. I don't know if it's a town or a city, but of, of Mackay. Yeah, we know Mackay. We know Mackay. You'll love it up there. Yeah, go on. Yeah, 30th, 30th of July on a Saturday. So we encourage all against... Um, the Magpie Crusaders. We we um, encourage all residents of Mackay to come out and support their local club in an FFA Cup clash. It's always, always fun to uh, to come up against a, a team who has. Sorry, as much as I like the MacArthur Bulls, the best name in Australian football, Mackay with Sunday Magpies Crusaders. You, you can't <laughs> beat that. You cannot beat it. A great name, I must say. Ah, <laughs> uh, well done. Uh, Sam, how's it uh, going uh, restructuring and uh, getting uh, the new players in? You've got a couple of names that you've uh, released today. Young Anthony Carter. Uh, what have you made of him? Yeah, look, I mean, we've been tracking Anthony Carter for about over 12 months. So, you know, he's been on the radar for a while. We've kept a uh, close interest on him, watching how he performed what he does in the scheme of the of um, of what we require from you know obviously one of our strikers we want someone who's you know he's a tall boy he's lanky he's fairly yeah. quick he's hard um, you know for the Australian conditions I, I think he's he, he's ideal so when we're looking at one of our number nines that that's the profile we wanted so we want you know sort of two different types of number nines and he fitted the big lanky striker you know you know sadly. Um, yeah, you know, we, we you know we didn't retain Urich, went to victory, and also you know uh, Gianni because of personal reasons went back to Greece. So it's sort of you know we, we needed to find one in that mould. So we, this is the one that we we came up with. You know, obviously your recruiting's limited because of the foreigner rule, and we already had three foreigners on the books. Yep. So you know you have to find an Aussie boy, and you know I'm, I'm glad we found one. You know what fascinates me about this uh, young Australian that you've found? He's had um, the opportunity to uh, showcase his wares around the world, but he's also been knocked around by injury. Now, if you can if you can keep him fit, 
the the uh, the potential is enormous. That's from what I hear from the people I know in the in that inner sanctum who've who've uh, promoted and pushed him uh, over the last uh, six months. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Like I said, I mean, you don't get signed by Ben Benfica, and I mean, he got loaned out to their B team, but you don't get signed at Benfica if, if you don't have something. Let's yep. face reality. Yep. Yep. So he definitely got something. Hasn't played in Australia. Is an unknown element left here when he was quite quite a young teenager. So, like I said, we're excited by what the potential Anthony can have, um, and he's very much an unknown. Well, uh, maybe a final one for you, Sam, before we let you go. Obviously, the, the squad's still got to be finalised, and there's been plenty of clamour amongst the A-League about this uh, wish list of, of, of big big names to, to bring into the A-League marquees, and we've seen Cesc Fabregas linked with A-League clubs. We've seen Nani linked with A-League clubs. Is that something that MacArthur in any any respect plan to, plan to lean into? There does seem to be a bit of uh, zeitgeist for, for marquees <laughs> in this off-season. Well, I think it's good for the league. I mean, every club should look at marquees that come across their desk. I think, you know, the, uh, it will help the league and help, help the marketing. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is a, a high-class, top-notch marquee. Uh, the marketing you get from that one, from that person, you can't get from spending dollars on newspapers, advertisements, commercials, and that, that, that's reality. So, you know, obviously, you know, we're interested in, Potential of signing a marquee that, that of, of of that nature. I'm sure other clubs are too, and everyone's exploring their options. Um, yeah, uh, I've got to say I agree with you because uh, a good marquee, a special marquee, if they land, they they're more than just a footballer. They become a uh, a great promotional piece. They uh, they're also capable of being uh, you know used in in the corporate world to uh, showcase uh, to to business. Uh, what it takes to be a winner. I saw with David Villa uh, and when we had Damien um, Duff here uh, at Melbourne City, we had calls on him almost every other day by business wanting to join them, uh, you know, for lunch or for a brunch or uh, for a morning breakfast just to talk to them about what it takes to be a winner. So you get the right marquee, you get more than just a player, don't you? That is right. That is right. I mean, I, I saw the effect on my personally when my eight-year-old daughter at the time had, who didn't know any footballers except maybe Sydney United footballers that she used to go watch on a Sunday. But she no A League footballers. And then when Del Piero hit, uh-huh. she knew who Del Piero was, and she wanted a Del Piero jersey, and she wanted to go watch <laughs> Del Piero play. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what yeah. it is. That's the drawing power, the magic. Uh, Sam, we're going to talk to you. We're going to draw on you throughout the year, if you don't mind. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, we give all the clubs of the A-League every possible chance to get their message across and to to their fans to tell them what's going on and to keep them busy. Uh, we, we understand the difficult times at the moment in New South Wales. We wish you all the very best and uh, good luck. We'll be monitoring what happens uh, in Mackay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sam Krizlovich, the the sporting director from the MacArthur Bulls. We'll take a break when we come back. Simon Hill, the voice of the game down under, coming up. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. State of Our Football Nation, Lockie Flanagan is running the console. I'm uh, alongside him. Uh, Welcome if you're watching us uh, on Facebook. 
I'm the one, I'm the one with the Paris Saint-Germain gear. Uh, you're in what colour is that? I think it's orange, but it's not quite as suave as your PSG uh, Jordan release. That orange that looks like brown. That looks like almost uh, one maybe, of those colours. That, that, maybe that this, might thought... be a, this might be an off-air discussion. <laughs> Um, you've got a, a, a special guest uh, and you've got him in the waiting room. I think it's uh, an opportunity to introduce him. Yeah, and he's uh, he's waited very patiently, so we appreciate him uh, hanging around for us. None other than the uh, the voice of football here in Australia. I'm sure he's uh, getting tired of maybe hearing people refer to him as that, but uh, we love him all the same. Uh, Simon Hill, a warm welcome to you. Thanks, guys. No, it's uh, it's always nice to hear Always that. fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon, uh, congratulations. You had a tremendous uh, uh, opportunity last night to talk about the game in Brisbane. You want to just run us past uh, for yeah. those who didn't catch up. You had a chance to do something that uh, not all of us get a chance to do. That is mixed with some wonderful players from the past uh, and talk about something very, very special. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I was invited to MC um, a centenary event, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Socceroos, um, launch of a book called Burning Ambition, uh, co-authored by Trevor Thompson, formerly the ABC, and Nick Goth, who's <laughs> a historian who now lives in London, Queen's Park Rangers supporter. Um, and it's all about the story, essentially, of, of that first test series in 1922 between New Zealand and Australia. Um, and there were quite a few ex-Socceroos in attendance last night, including the likes of Cole Bennett, uh, Frank Farina, John Cosmina, um, Jade North was there. Um, and, and one or two others, and representatives of Alec Gibbs family. Now, Alec Gibb, I'm sure you're aware, was the first ever Socceroos captain in that uh, first test against New Zealand, 1922. Um, so his grandchildren, um, Ross Williams and Rachel Moen, were there last night, along with his great-grandson, Benjamin Williams. How fabulous, how fabulous. Yeah, and the, the thing that I years. learned afterwards was that uh, Rachel Moen's son was Ben Moen, who actually captained the Wallabies as well. So that's, that's quite a sporting game. I was going to say that, that, that's quite some pedigree. Yeah. You're, you're talking about real sporting uh, DNA. That's fantastic yeah. stuff. What was, the, what was the feeling for you uh, having this opportunity what, from the Socceroos who were there? Um, what was the um, – uh, I'm trying to understand if, if they're, they're as excited as so many others are about what uh, the game is trying to do, and that is pay homage to the past, acknowledge some great people that played the game. And, you know, I remember every time I speak to Ted Smith, he takes me back to that wonderful time in 56 when the Australian team, you know, had an opportunity to create – uh, some some great history at the Olympics, and it was marginalised and compromised by the fact that um, they they basically picked a team out of two states, you know, because it, mm. that was how it worked at the time. And most well, of the it was, money it was the same in 1922. Sides. Wow, it was the same in mm. 1922. It was only uh, New, it was only Queensland and New South Wales, which is why they actually played in sky blue jerseys, sky blue being of New South Wales, yeah, yeah. of course, with the maroon trim for for Queensland. Now, <laughs> the other states were invited to to you know to contribute. Yep. Um, I think South Australia at the time said they couldn't afford it. Victoria did have a bit of money, but opted against it. Wow. Um, so, you know, even in those days, and some things don't change, 100 years <laughs> old, you know, we've still got politics that are uh, – and I think there was a lot of politics about how the, the team was chosen as well. So that there were eight New South Welshmen and eight Queenslanders that oh. went on the tour. Uh, originally, a New South Welshman in Alan Fisher was chosen as, as the captain. 
Um, but before the official tests started, they played some tour games, of course, very much in the mode of, you know, cricket tour games yeah, yeah. in the past. And Al- Alan Fisher decided that Alec Gibb would be a better captain. Um, so he handed over the armband. I'm not even sure they wore an armband in those days. But uh, yeah, so it's, it, look, it's fascinating to learn all this history. And I think, you know, I've, I've only been in Australia for 20 years, but the history of this game has always fascinated me since mm. the, the day I arrived because nobody seemed to know, A, too much about it, and B, didn't really want to talk about it. It was almost like we were a bit embarrassed about it. And I found that baffling, to be honest. So I, I've been a keen student of it. I don't pretend to know as, as much as, you know, people who have lived here all their lives. Yeah. But I do know that we are particularly poor cur- curators and tellers of our own stories. So, you know, to to have this opportunity, and this is only obviously a very small part of of Australian football's history in this country, but it's an important part nonetheless. And, you know, John Cosmina, who I interviewed last night, um, now I asked him a question last night because, of course, as I'm sure you know, he scored the first ever National Soccer League goal in 1977 for West Adelaide against Canberra. And that was at Monica Oval in Canberra. And I said, have you ever been invited back is there anything there is there a plaque or some commemoration because not only was it the first goal because it was the first game as well of the old national soccer league no nothing absolutely nothing and this is a story that it you know echoes right across the country uh, a journalistic friend of mine michael kane tried to do a story on Adamstown rosebud who you might remember won the nsl cup in 1984 their biggest and only ever senior trophy and guess what they don't know where the trophy is. They lost it. Nobody, and it's the same story across the country. You remember the story of the Australia Cup that was found in a, in a rubbish tin yep, correct. at the Harkoa Club? I mean, this, this is how we treat the history of our game in this country, and it, it's extraordinary. I mean, it, it would be laughable if it didn't make me so irritated. And thankfully, we're starting to try and put this right a little bit. And a lot of credit should go to Benita Mercedes, who runs Fair Play Publishing. She's publishing a lot of these books that are telling these stories. Uh, But still, people really, in general, have no clue. Uh, and, And I'm sure you've had the same conversations, George, down the years. You speak to people and they go, oh, you know, football or soccer, as people invariably call it, um, you know, that they uh, they think it's a new game, that it started in the 50s <laughs> yeah, with no, the migrant no, clubs. No. It's, it's just simply not true. The, the, Australian, um, the Australian rules people have uh, been very, yeah. very good at a narrative, providing a narrative yes. and enriching Historical revisionism. Yes, oh, <laughs> they're marvellous at it. And, you know, uh, I can't knock them because, you know, it shows you what you can do with almost nothing. Uh, yeah. So imagine now what we can do with with what we have. And I'm reminded that the world is going to come under, uh, you know, next year. And this, you know, two nations, Australia and New Zealand, that have sporting pedigree like very few other nations around the world, because that's Correct. how it's been, uh, will have a chance to uh, open their cities up and showcase some wonderful, wonderful experiences. And I hope that every one of those is gold, you know, and um, it, it, it just means an awful lot. Now, speak to me about um, some more gold because um, you've, you've, you've been now, you know, this, through this first painful year, this transfer 
from what was Fox TV to uh, free-to-air television and, and streaming TV. Uh, Network 10. Well I, well, I didn't go through that, personally, because no, no, I was you, that far No, no, but you've been through this first year of <laughs> Network 10 yes. and uh, Paramount+. Plus, yeah. And it's been, you know, it's come with all the attendant problems that we saw emerge or, or fall on everybody when Optus came into the game and bought just about everything that uh, was meaningful and said to the world, here we are, we're going to show you some of the best football in the world. And then, of course, we couldn't see a thing. They bought the World Cup and they couldn't deliver it, so it, so it was offered to back to SBS for nothing, so that they wouldn't uh, embarrass just about everybody. But uh, this year, um, I believe you guys have had a, a lot of things, uh, you know, going against you. There, as I said before, mitigating circumstances and COVID had a deep, deep, deep um, uh, challenge. Mm. Uh, and I remember, as I said to you once before. Uh, Jeff Bullock said to me, we don't know where we're going. We can't get the crews out there because the, the borders are closed. So, okay, yeah. let's throw that yeah. out of the way. What's coming up? What's next? Are you guys getting ready for what promises to be? And I mean this, a full season of APL unencumbered and with some real air in their sails. Well, as we speak today, I mean, I'm not because we're in the off season and uh, some of us are having a little bit of a break, um, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> which, which obviously we, you know, we, we could do with. Um, we've got some exhibition games coming up, obviously, uh, over the next week or so, which uh, uh, got the immediate attention, you know, the likes of Aston Villa, Leeds, Manchester United. Uh, one or two others, Crystal Palace, I think, are here as well. So I'm, I'm going to be calling a couple of those games. But Fantastic. once the dust settles on, on all that, and we've had a bit of a break, and I'm I'm heading off to the UK uh, for a bit of a holiday after that. So uh, and then we'll settle down. To, thank you. And then we'll and I'll watch a bit of Premier League, of course, whilst I'm over there. Rub it in. Go on. Rub it in. Sound like you're being forced to watch the Premier League. Can you imagine Simon Hill forced to watch the EPL? If I have to watch the Premier League, what's that ground? Do you think he might go to first? I think it's pretty short odds. It's probably one game. It's good. Eddie had surely. Yeah, surely it'll be. Well, actually, it won't be. Oh, it'll, oh. <laughs> I, I can tell you that the first stadium I'll be going to, well, hopefully, if I can get a ticket, is the King Power because they're playing the Charity Shield or the Community Shield. I still call oh, it the Charity yes. Shield. Yeah, yeah. They're playing the Community Shield game uh, in Leicester because, of course, Wembley is being used for the Women's Euros. Yes. yes. Uh, so I'm hoping I'm going to get a ticket for that. Uh, I am certainly going to be at uh, the Olympic Stadium, London Stadium, for the first weekend of the Premier League season with uh, City being away at West Ham. Uh, and then I've got tickets for the home game against Bournemouth. <laughs> I can see Stuart Thomas uh, pumping the air there because he's a West Ham fan. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get to see a few games, but obviously I want a bit of a break. And just to answer your original question, you know, once we get back from all that, we will start. I mean, the planning will be in process now for the new season. And, you know, it was a tough year last year. There's no getting away from that. No. COVID was very, very difficult. It, yeah. it moved the schedules all over the place which meant that I think the narrative for the supporters was largely lost. And, and that's unfortunate. Yep, that's, true. that's not to say that, you know, there weren't some teething problems um, with the service as well. We know that. Um, I'm, I'm told that those problems are going to be addressed. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a match commentator, so that's not really uh, my department. It's not your bag. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd, I would hope that next season we will have a much better year all round. And, you know, it's not just... Uh, 10 and Paramount Plus that's got to step up to the plate. It's also the APL and the clubs. You know, they promised us some marquee players, better marketing, uh, a better schedule, obviously, which, you know, hopefully they'll get without the the, the pandemic interfering. 
Um, and we've got the World, the World Cup and the Women's World Cup at the top and tail of it. So it's an exciting 12 months uh, to come. And, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to bring it to you. And, you know, the, the other thing, just to close off this particular part of the conversation is, you know, when things go wrong, it hurts us as much as, as everybody else does. Because at, at heart, we're football fans. I mean, you, you know, you won't find much more of a passionate football supporter than me. I mean, I've been having arguments on Twitter today about you know, <laughs> where the money's going uh, for the Olympics and it should be going to football in Brisbane and it's not. But anyway, uh, so, we, you know, we're, we're desperate to get things right and to provide uh, the service that, you know, the league needs. Uh, but it's a partnership and uh, everybody's got to do their bit. Yeah, and uh, the audience has got to come to the party as well. True. Uh, No point saying we want free-to-air or streaming television or access to the games and then not not access them. I mean, it's very simple. Football fans are very hard to please in this country. You know that, George. Tell me about it. (laughs) Simon, speaking of, um, you know, football fans having to to come to the party, do you you feel as though this this marquee approach that's being mooted looks as though we will see some... uh, some pretty significant names apply their trade down under. Do you think that is Cis going Fabregas. to to go a long way to, to bringing those kind of uh, you know fickle, critical people uh, back watching uh, the game on free to wear? Look, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Um, you know, marquees, and we've seen this in the past with Del Piero, oh, yeah. uh, Shinji Ono, uh, Emil Heskey, Robbie Fowler to a certain degree. Um, they they can put bums on seats in the short term, but longer term, there is no quick fix. Uh, to get in this league to where it needs to go. Yep. And that means uh, winning over hearts and minds long-term. We, the old saying is, you know, you support the badge on the front of the shirt, not the name on the back. And that's what we need to get longer term. Uh, now, you look at where Sydney FC are at at the moment, oh. and obviously a poor season didn't help off the pitch either, but yeah, neither did the move away from the Sydney Football Stadium. You know, but their crowds were pretty average last season, the same as a lot of clubs. Um, so what, what's Del Piero's legacy long term? Did, did he, you know, did he get rusted on fans in their thousands to stay with the club long term? I, I don't think he did. And the same with all the others. So they can be a short term sugar hit to, to spike people's interest. Sure. And I think they're a good thing. And we should certainly invest in them. But longer term, there's got to be an awful lot more done uh, off the pitch to connect with communities. And just a final point on this. Yep. You know, one of the one of the ways we do that, and I've banged on about this for many, many years, is the actual construction of facilities. It's bricks and mortar. Mm. It's a sense of permanence in your community, training facilities, stadiums. We don't have enough of those things in, in the A-League. We move from ground to ground. You know, some clubs play four, five, six different home grounds every season. How can the fans forge any sort of an identity when you're on the road that much. Um, too often the pitches are full of rugby league markings or Aussie rules markings or cricket squares. You know, that that's not what we need long-term. There's got to be that construction of a proper football culture. Dare I say it, like many clubs in the old NSL did, and it's to their eternal credit that they did that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just before I let you go, uh, you touched on something that really burns inside me. Uh, there's a brand magnificent new stadium opening in Sydney very, very shortly. <coughs> yep. And, of course, the Matildas are there, correct? Uh, yes. But they're, they're game number three. And the first two games are Rugby League and Rugby Union. And what yep. do Rugby Union packs do to grounds? Mm. 
Don't stop. Well, George, did we honestly expect anything different? Oh, no. And uh, look, again, this is, you know, this is part of the challenge for our game. We have got to have much more of a voice at all those important governmental and diplomatic levels. Correct. And at the moment, we're still the outsider sports. And, you know, with, in fairness to politicians, they are of their society. They read the same papers as us. You know, they have the same interests as the mainstream. And by and large, that means rugby league. It means Aussie rules. It Mm. means cricket. Mm. And we're nowhere. So we've got to somehow, you know, make our voices heard. Now, we started off by talking about this event I did in Brisbane last night. And Joan Pease, who's the part of the Labour government in in Queensland, Mm. Uh, got up and and spoke very eloquently and and beautifully about the brilliant impact that football was having on the Queensland economy and how many millions of dollars the game was bringing uh, into that particular state over the next 12 months. And we all stood there and thought, well, that's great. How good are we doing putting money in your bank account? Yeah. What are you doing for us? Thank you very much. Yeah, Where's it? our boutique stadium 20, in 24 Brisbane? hours later and the, uh, the Olympic funding's heading the direction there of we rugby. Go. Yeah. That's yeah. where it's yeah, going. It's, it's going to rugby league. Yeah. Don't stop me. Don't stop me. <laughs> uh, Simon Hill, as, as usual, <laughs> fantastically well done. Uh, listen, have a, have a good break, uh, and we look Thanks, forward guys. to catching up with you when you get back. And, uh, Thanks, guys. And, uh, and safe travels. Thank you very much. Come on, City. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we've got to take a break. Got another guest for you. Uh, Stuart Thomas has been talking sports. Oh, he's fired up, I can tell. (laughs) And he knows, he'll talk about uh, this business about marquees because he's got some interesting ideas on it and we might uh, just uh, mine some of those uh, thoughts and see what we come up with. That's just uh, uh, in, a, in a moment or two, you're listening to State of Our Football Nation on FNR. George Danikian, along with a guy called Lockie Flanagan, who is wearing some colour brown. Right, we're we're, we're going to sort this out over the break. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. It's been a busy hour. I want to know, has the rain stopped in New South Wales? Yeah, uh, Stuart Thomas is our guest, arriving via Zoom. Uh, Stuart, welcome to FNR. Good evening, George. Have you got me loud and clear? Yeah, we have, actually. Uh, there's just a little bit of an echo in the background, but that's okay. It's probably the water in your uh, in your swimming pool. It's um, It's been awful, but I must admit, this afternoon, things have really cleared... We've had a bit of sun. I'm sort of on the back of a, a rural sort of situation and we, we've got water running in all sorts of different directions. Wow. But it looks like the next few days that we'll get some relief. So I'm far from uh, less stressed than many people in New South Wales and other parts of Australia, you know, uh, north and south on the, on the eastern seaboard. But... Things are looking a bit better, which is really good to see. I, I, from what I've heard, um, there are people saying to me, you cannot believe the weather we've had in the last uh, year or two. It's been extraordinary. Is that is that but accurate? I, yeah. The, I mean, we went through the... I mean, we. I heard some information about probably seven or eight days ago that the old, the old Nina effect, yep. you know, was essentially over mm. and I'll not... I'm not suggesting that was false information. No, but um, this this recent five to six days of heavy rain has just really shown us how 
significant the previous two to three months were because as soon as water hit the ground here in New South Wales, it, it, it wouldn't run away. Mm. There was obviously so much under the surface that um, it just sat on, on, on the surface, so to speak. And it was just incredible uh, that there's obviously been such a backlog. I guess the best thing we can hope for is a really uh, a fire season that doesn't impact too severely oh, on people. Yeah. Hopefully, oh, our, hopefully our, we have so much moisture that, that will maybe give us a bit of relief for, you know, what could, you know, what is always a scary time of year in Australia when when the, when the bushfire season rolls around. Well, there's a reason why it becomes dangerous because all the rains tend to do one thing, and that is they fuel those areas. They are they they supply wonderful moisture, and of course that leads to great growth. And then, of course, come the the summer months. Um, you know, you don't need much to set the flames, uh, you know, uh, amongst the forest and it becomes, uh, as we've seen over the last two years, just horrific. But I'm reminded, you're a teacher. Uh, I'm going to take you back to 1905 and a, and a woman by the name of Dorothea McKellar. She, she wrote a poem. Uh, she was in England at the time and she was rather homesick. And, and uh, it was about uh, her country, my country. And she spoke about... Uh, you know the extraordinary uh, sunburned country that she'd left down down under uh, a land of um, what is it ragged mountain ranges and and, and, and hills and whatever but she That's spoke about the rain. floods yeah. and rains <laughs> you would have thought that there are governments uh, over the last hundred years that would have listened or learnt some of those lines and, t- and taken some advantage and thought let's future proof Australia and they've done nothing They've done nothing, and I'm talking. Doesn't forget about poli- the what 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 manner of politics it is. All of them, state and federal governments of all persuasions, have done little or nothing. The last great national uh, challenge or uh, project was the Snowy Mountain Scheme, and, and that's it. And they all stopped after that. They thought, what a great job we've done. It's, it's, and they've stopped. You, you know, think about it long and uh, hard. It, it, it's, it's scary. It's funny, George. You know, if I, if I hadn't been here listening to the conversation from the start and I heard you say, uh, we've missed our chance to future-proof the game, the governments haven't given us any help. Oh, it sounds help. like we've football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, they, they're, they're hand in hand. Mm. Stuart, Stuart's been writing some stories over the last uh, – I suppose, year and a half that I've been paying attention to. And you've sparked my interest every time, Stuart. And I thought, let's get Stuart on air and talk about some of the subject matter that you've talked about. And Simon Hill was on just before you and was talking about uh, the marquees and how not only do do we need to get the marquees in, but we've got to get the right type of marquees. And you've spoken about marquees and what they can and and can't do for the game. Um, just, Just give us a sense of your school of thought and what we might be able to do this time around to make things a little better? Well, just if I just park the marquees for about five seconds yeah, go for and it. Re- refer back to your oh. comments in regards to government. And, I, w- I was just ranting. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, No environment and so forth. You're exactly right. And the reasoning is that we all know that you know, governmental policy, unfortunately, as you say, it doesn't matter what type of government you're talking no. about, yeah. has been incredibly short-term in terms of its vision and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And as you say, snowy scheme, yes, definitely something that saw a, a bigger picture, a grander picture, yeah. and that's something that's been so lacking in this country across and, and you know, 
liberals and, and labors and greens and, and whatever else will I don't care what color it is yeah and 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 they're all missing the point and you're exactly right the two of you both they're saying that the correlation between that disgraceful lack of future vision and mm. football is is the most it is the most perfect metaphor it is exactly what it what has been wrong with our game now that's not to say our game is doomed because I'm one of the most passionate and strongest believers in our game, despite uh, much of the uh, criticism that I might cop in social media because people tend to perceive that calling out problems and a lack of vision is negative. <laughs> I actually prefer to think that it's potentially creating a positive by calling out what's wrong and, and hopefully moving forward. Yeah. So I think what, what, what you've both said, it, it, it is absolutely so applicable to where we are, not only as a country, not only as an economy, not only as an environment, but also as a football country. But then you look at the uh, the marquee situation, which falls into that, because that is a, is a, is a direct, uh, what's, what's the word? It's sort of a, it fuels the competition in terms of our top tier of Australian football. And I thought Simon made a fantastic point. Now I know Simon reasonably well, Simon and I might not agree on a hundred percent of what we discuss, but I do agree with him on most points. And, and we have a very solid common ground in terms of that. The past has been uh, re- not rejected. That's probably a little harsh. No, but we've wasted it. Yeah. We've yeah. wasted it. Yeah. And I, and I think what is important is when we look at that marquee situation, yes, what Simon said, they are not a negative thing. It is definitely something that should be invested in. And we have strong history in our competition to show that it can, in fact, provide a boost. The problem is that when a name like Adele Piero comes to Australia, which has an enormous uh, positive impact upon the competition, upon the game, and, and, and an array of corporate realities yeah the issue is if if there is not another one right after him what was the point Mm, mm. and 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 that's what simon was alluding to in that well has he in fact created and i think the term he used was rusted on group and he hasn't you know he was terrific while he was here he was was. brilliant to watch and it was terrific for sydney fc and the league and and, that, and that's great. Everyone should celebrate that. But unless there is another one, and obviously he'd reached an age where he was off, and I think he went off to India and yep. other places yep. to, to finish his career. But unless there's another one, and then another one, and then another one, the point of that marquee sort of situation can actually be, it, it can seem quite cynical and it can seem quite hollow. Now, the announcement today and the investment that the that the A-League slash APL have made in allowing clubs to spend this extra $600,000 outside of the salary cap is potentially groundbreaking. I would assume that a portion of that, if not most of it, is from the Silver Lake investment that we've all been in. Anticipating. Yeah, we've wanted to see where this will be spent. So we've potentially created a situation where... There are, there are huge names, as you've spoken about on your program tonight, huge names being bandied about as potential A-League players in the next three to four months. And that's terrific. Great. Let's go for it. But that extra 600000 
potentially brings in another one to each club. And we could be in a situation where we're looking at a, a game changer might be a little bit too strong, but it certainly looks as though we've got to a point where we've got some money into the game where we might be able to actually offer a package and a, a, a star package that might be consistent and mm. not just the one-off that then disappears. Uh, you, uh, you speak so clearly and so uh, so much of it is on the money. The thing I'm reminded of again uh, was the risk that Del Piero took with his career and reputation. He put it on the line. And this takes courage. It takes courage for a marquee to say, you know, I'm going to put my, my, uh, my legacy on the line to play down under. And what he did, um, and it's why I have so much time for Del Piero, was he said, you know what? I think I can be a pilgrim. I can be a preacher. I can be uh, one of those people out there to spread the word. Uh, and he was marvellous. I also have understood something else from this exercise. He got a chance while he was here to improve his English, so much so that he's now a very, very uh, regular commentator on English-speaking television mm. and radio, which was something he wasn't that fluent at, and, uh, and, and, and that was something that he also added to this experience. He said, not only will I come down here and spread the word and showcase my talents, but I'm also going to further myself. And he gave his family a chance to also enjoy what was a beautiful time in Sydney. And when you, you're exactly right, George. And when you think about, obviously, people on the Eastern Seaboard have been very, very interested and invested in the story of Milos Nikovic and bringing his, I mean, this man was a, a superb footballer. We all knew that when he came here. He probably, there were probably some people who thought, oh, he'll, he might be one of those imports that stays for two or three years and, you know, and then disappears. But mm. with his children in school and entrenching his family on the Eastern Seaboard and then watching this man's career unfold, you think, wow, isn't it? You know, part of me thinks that, you know, Del Piero was wonderful for the A-League. There, Emil Heskey was wonderful in the A-League and there have been numerous others. Yep. Part of me also thinks that perhaps the more sustained import or the more sustained investment might actually be better for the league. That Milos Nikovic is probably one of the most popular and most respected players we've had over the last decade. Yep. And he hasn't been here that long, but certainly over that period. And... Is he a brilliant footballer? Yes, he is. Is he Was he of the class in terms of Adele Piero and the international accolades that he received? Probably not. But I think players like that might be better targets. And that's why I think that 600,000 figure, they're talking about a figure of about 2 million when they talk about Fabregas with 50% potentially being paid uh, outside of the club. That's right. And that is a huge figure. Now, is that sustainable across all clubs? Probably not. Certainly not, I would suggest. So perhaps the $600,000 figure outside of the salary cap gives us an option. If we could get 12 clubs to pick up six or seven or eight future Milos Ninkovic's, I think in terms of the long-term benefit, and that's what Simon was referring to is, Mm. Is, is doing something that is sustainable over a longer period, 
that might be a nice target point for us to go for. The $2 million and the superstar like Fabregas, okay, you know what? I will actually, I'll, I'll jump on the wagon and say, go for it. I've got no problem. Across 12 clubs, I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. However, the, 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 the quarter of that, the $600,000 player, I think that might be something that's more sustainable. But it's actually just pleasing that we're in a position now where we're talking about it and that we've actually got that investment there and we've got that money there to, 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 to actually sort of uh, make, it, make it possible because I think over the last five years, many people were scared that we might not be in that position again. Look, uh, Thomas Sorensen came to uh, yeah. uh, to Melbourne City and the, what he gave the club was a couple of years of actual play, but what he's done behind the scenes mm. and since then has added to the game. He's part of uh, Optus. He's, he, he's gone around and, and, and involved himself with charity after charity. He's been a magnificent ambassador for the game at, at a thousand different levels and business loves him too. So I'm thinking you bring a Cesc Fabregas, uh, the state government of the day would want to want to have him on board. Uh, businesses around the country would want to use, you know, what uh, what uh, he what he has to offer to, you know, uh, support and boost the uh, the showcasing of how to think like a winner. And these guys are winners. They've been mm. they've been travelling the world, playing in the most elite competitions with the biggest clubs in the world. Imagine what they can bring, well, and you've got to use them properly. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because while you were answering that, that question, Stuart, I was thinking to myself, gee, who are the first three players, uh, when I think about my history of watching the A-League, that, that, you know, that come to my brain yep. that I remember most Dwight fondly? York. And maybe there was a bit of cognitive bias because you just brought up Milos Ninkovic. But genuinely, the, the, the first three players that, that sort of came to my head uh, in terms of foreign players who have come in from overseas uh Thomas Broich, oh, yes. Bruno Fornaroli, and yep. I guess Ninkovic would be there as well. And those are exactly those kind of players uh, that you're talking about. But I guess I guess the counter-argument to that is that, well, those have an appeal to the people who are already in the door, the rusted-on football fans. Do they have a, an appeal to those that we can convert to that? And I guess the, the marquee is kind of... And we sort of asked this question to, to Simon before. I'll put it to you. If the, if the marquees are our sort of... Uh, foot in the door, I guess, to any prospective A-League fan. What is that sort of next step or next steps that you see uh, going from the foot in the door to actually getting the potential A-League customer to, to open the door up and, and let us in, let us into their homes? What, yeah. do, you, what do you see that yeah, as good being? Point. Well, I think it's a really good point because as, as I've sort of alluded to, that sort of major marquee is probably not something that's going to be sustainable across mm-hmm. every club. So that middle range is definitely important. Now, Bruch, Thomas Bruch, we could probably say he did crack and uh, bring people into the Brisbane market. Yep. Definitely. Yep. Did, did, did Milos Nikovic bring more people to Sydney FC? Probably a small amount, but, mm, mm. but I think the point is valid that, well, it's not as though he's brought in 20,000 to every Sydney game extra on top of what they already had. It's also related to the football, though, isn't it? Because I, I think about Broich in particular, and part of the reason that you'd be interested in coming to watch his team and a player like him, despite his um, you know CV not being as large as a Fabregas or something like that, is that Brisbane Raw played brilliant football. Oh, yeah. Uh, Milos yeah. Ninkovic at his peak. I mean, some people have their own thoughts about uh, the way Sydney played football, but they got results. 
And oh, absolutely. that brings people in the door. I mean, Mel- Melbourne City with uh, Bruno Fornaroli. The team was exciting to watch. And in that sort of 2014, 2015, 2016 years where he was at his best, um, the fans voted with their feet and, and there was regularly 10,000 plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had the Frenchman yeah. on one side. We had Bruno. Mm. And we also had Ross. Every time there was a free kick yeah. taken, he was scoring goals. I mean, they, they were exciting players who came on board. And I don't think they have to be absolutely top draw, um, but, but it helps <laughs> like, like and anything else. I think, else. George, that's what you were referring to in the piece that I wrote a few weeks ago in regards to we've got a lot of our best international talent and we're, we're currently experiencing a bit of a boom in terms of – and most of them are, are apparently or appear to be going to Scotland, which is really exciting for oh, everybody, yeah. but – uh, we've got so many of our boys and it's seemingly more over the last sort of six to eight months that there, there is a real recognition of their talent and so forth, which is great for Australian football because for too long we've had so many boys go overseas, sit on the pine for extended periods and waddle back to Australia with their tail between their yeah, legs. And, true. and as good a players as they are, things haven't worked out for, a, for myriad reasons and, and that's okay. But we've had this recent surge and and the connection there is that people, I think, and I'm sure you're both across this, but I think many people listening probably need to understand that this is the first generation of footballers that we've had come through with a full experience of the national curriculum. Now, there are negative comments in terms of the curriculum. Is it perfect? Far from it. Is it the solution to make Australian football fantastic? No. Is it going to win Australia a World Cup in 16 years? Probably not. But there is certainly something there that we're now seeing a youth development, and I'm heavily involved in youth development here in Sydney, working with a a gentleman who is so passionate that he, he does it for free. And to see kids, he's using more of an EFL model than the Australian model. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, because he sees some limitations in that. Now, he's perfectly legitimately allowed to do that because he's running a private situation. But there is a, we're seeing boys now coming through that have had the experience of the curriculum right from the beginning, right to the age of, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're seeing more and more of those boys getting recognized overseas and picked up. And, and I think from, and from my perspective, I was a little bit suspicious and sceptical in terms of this curriculum back when I was teaching in private schools and, and coaching football teams and looking at it and thinking, is this sustainable in the long term? But there is something happening that I think is positive for the game in terms of our youngsters. And we are seeing, unfortunately for the A-League, we are seeing players ripped out of our clubs and taken overseas. But in terms of Australian football, we've got to look at that as a positive. Yep. And it also provides opportunities for that that next wave to come through. So there's a whole there's a whole lot of factors that sort of intermingle and that sort of combine to make sense of this whole situation. The marquees are important. We've got to decide whether we've got to decide how big we want the marquees to be how we also probably need to focus on a good middle range of marquee in that sort of sort of Milos Ninkovic type that gives each club, you know, as you referred to, that quality and class. Mm. But then also have a good think about 
our boys and where they're going. You know, it's interesting you say that. I have another view on that, and it's to do with the other round ball code, which is basketball. Uh, we don't have any problem, uh, you know, watching young basketballers heading to America to test themselves in the draft. Yeah. And we've seen a whole new wave of energy and exposure and the game is thriving again as it did in the early 80s when I was uh, at Channel 9 and then went to Channel 10. They, they, they had hot programs on television. It was on free-to-air. Uh, the stadiums that were, that were, that were uh, you know, supporting the game were packed uh, and there was a lot of buzz around. And here we are again. It's, there was a lull. The, the game was almost, uh, you know, over and about to give itself up mm. when, when a, a couple of smart businessmen came on board and, th- and said, you know what, we can do this a little bit better. And the same thing is happening to, to baseball yeah. in Australia. The round ball code, uh, basketball, is thriving because of the number of Australians overseas at the elite level. Now, we haven't got that at the moment in the round ball code football, but we are doing something where we haven't done before, and that is we're seeing a number of our coaches, Kevin Musket in Japan, a guy called Ange Postacoglu in Scotland. A year ago, you remember, Stuart, uh, when a guy called Alan Brazil laughed at the idea of a Postacoglu being chosen to lead one of the great clubs of Scottish. How dare they bring a guy from the Antipodes? I can't even pronounce his name. Um, how, what does he know about football? Well, they've all found out now, haven't they? Well, the best, probably one of the most ironic lines I've ever read in my life is <laughs> a gentleman who said, I'm just trying to get his, his line exactly right, but he was a Celtic fan, and his, his comment on social media was something like, we searched around the world and the best we could come up with was an Australian bloke named Ange. <laughs> and he was absolutely livid. And I simply replied to him and I said, mate, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're getting because this is a man that he'll strip your club to the floor, but he will he'll build your club into did something you see wonderful. The, did you see the score this morning in Europe? Celtic No, State? I didn't. 7 No, oh, that... Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't see it, no. Yeah. They, they just, they, and, and unfortunately, you know, we talk a lot in Australia about, you know, Euro snobbery and so forth, and that's a real thing. We yeah. understand Oh, it's that. real. It's alive but, and well. But, but the same thing obviously applies uh, in terms of, you know, flipped over to the other side of, you know, the world. But they, they truly just thought we we can't, we can't have an Australian. <laughs> not, not that I think they necessarily had an issue with him being Australian. No. But we can't have an Australian that we don't know. We can't have an Australian who coached in Japan. I mean, come on. Isn't it know? fantastic, though, that the Celtic fans took to Ange so well, they mm-hmm. even managed to do the unmentionable. They actually managed to get his name into a song. Yes, which is more not than, which probably is some, more than hey, one as well. Which is which is some effort, isn't it? Yeah, well, which quite, tells you how much they love the man. It's quite funny as well because I, I'm someone who follows both, um, just because of my family, Scottish football and Australian football. And when that sort of the Ange move first happened, it, we got our relationship got off to a uh, a very rocky start because both <laughs> leagues were kind of pointing at each other and saying, "Why should we listen to you? You're a terrible league. You know, it's a it's it's a boring competition." But over that time, Ange has kind of. 
He's Gelled brought the two yeah. together. And I think yeah. there's quite a nice synergy between um, between Australian and Scottish football now, and they do yeah. recognise the similarities in one another. And we're seeing that from the uh, you know the players who have who've gone both oh, ways, particularly from Australia to Scotland yeah, now yeah. too. There's a young Tottenham uh, uh, centre half. Uh, uh, American boy, uh, Carter uh, Vickers, and he's now left Tottenham and uh, become a full-time player at, at Celtic. And In fact, he signed a long-term contract. And he said, uh, I, I spoke to Ange, or Ange spoke to me, and he, and he said, I couldn't help but want to be part of his campaign. And that, to me, in essence, is the, the hallmark of any great teacher when when they can uh, reach out to you and capture your imagination. And uh, we saw it with a guy called um, Otto Rehagel who managed to somehow get through the thick skins of a bunch of Greek footballers in 2004 and they did the unbelievable. And Adidas managed to create a campaign where they used the word impossible. And the campaign was impossible is nothing. And Ange here again to all his, the naysayers, to all the knockers, has said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. And uh, it's, it's reaping wonderful returns and may long may it continue. But let's not also forget there's a young guy called Kevin Musket who had a checkered career at various times, and he's doing some great things. Mm. And there are other Australian coaches, uh, Joe Montemuro in, uh, in Italy with the women's, doing some tremendous things. Uh, and there are, of course, a bunch of Australian footballers, m- female and male, who was showcasing to the world that just because you're from Australia doesn't mean you can't play. Yeah, and That's the irony, stuff. George, I guess, is that so many of the things that I've written over, over you know, over the last two to three to four, but you know, seven years in total. Yep. There's so much uh, commentary around. Oh, it's negative. It's this and this, and you think, no, 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 no. There. There, we have so many footballers. We have we have players playing in in at the top level. In uh, I'm just thinking about um, Alan Mabil's new oh, yeah. contract. In I'm thinking about in, in, Matty in Ryan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and, and I'm thinking about the the elevated level that is now in international football, where we talked about, and this is a very controversial thing that some people will take up and, and, and call me all sorts of horrible names. But we we had a we had a Premier League, well, what was originally, you know, an English, you know, uh, top league or division one, whatever we used to call it, mm. where African footballers were, were not really a part of it. And we we've the game has broadened. We have we have footballers from Asia, from Africa, from yep. North Africa, from who have all come to the Premier League. Yep. And of course we once had six, seven, eight players playing at that level. Well, we don't now, and that is for the exact same reason why England don't have as many players playing in that competition because the world now plays in that competition. Exactly. So our boys have been forced to step back a division or you know, or, or move to another country or head off to, to Belgium or to... To, to, uh, to Germany. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and exactly, and, and to play there. They are not lesser footballers. They are... They are just as competent, but that competition with its ridiculous financial situation has created this elitism that, let's face it, many of our boys who had a little bit of a crack there many years ago wouldn't wouldn't survive there these days. It's almost almost progressed to the point where it's it's almost not just uh, 
Euro snobbery, is it? It, it? There is almost a level of Premier League snobbery there of because course. it is easy to forget oh. that, yes, some people do view the Premier League as this sort of alpha and omega of, of <laughs> European competition. But you have uh, you have players, as you've mentioned, Stuart, who are uh, playing or about to be playing in La Liga. You obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. had Aiden Frustic, who was at Eintracht Frankfurt as yep. well. Like, yep. If you look outside of the... Um, you know, the utopia that is the Premier League. There are still players who are, you know, playing their mm. trade at that very solid European level. And the Premier League is a, is a different kettle of fish now to, to what it once was in those those days you're referring to. Before I let you go, yeah. uh, Stuart, I, I want to th- take the time to, to say thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep stirring the pot. Uh, it's not negativity. It's just making us think, and I love that. Um, here's something I want you to, to do. Uh, because our programming... Uh, allows us to go beyond the normal realm of um, what old radio used to do. That It always had boundaries. Uh, streaming radio has no boundaries. We go around the world. So if Tom Rogic is listening, what <laughs> advice do you have for Tom Rogic tonight, Stuart? Well, the first thing I would say that a little bit of the stuff that I read over the last 24, 48 hours and Graham Arnold's comments in, in regards to, you know, texting and not getting a response I actually felt a little bit uncomfortable about that. I, yep. I was really concerned and I hope mm. he's okay. Mm. And I don't know the full, and I'm sure story. I, yep. I, I doubt anyone really knows, you know, the full story of exactly what's happening at this point. And, and we know that there's obviously been the turning down of a significant contract that looked quite appealing. There's been rumours, well, potentially, you know, he'll pop back in Australia. <laughs> the, the best thing... The one thing I can say about Tom Rogic is that probably Tom Tom played his football at Tuggeranong in yes. Canberra. Yeah, exactly. And I just had a relative of mine. I spend a fair bit of time in Canberra because I have relatives down there. And uh, my uh, young niece, Carly, was just here for two nights. And they're, they're from a place called Caldwell, which is literally five minutes down the road from Tuggeranong. And every time I go down there and stay with them, I, I always say, you know, Tom Rogic is from Tugger and on, they say. <laughs> and, and they're not massive football fans and we have a bit of a chuckle. And, and in terms of, you know, grassroots football and where players come from, you know, I, I find that quite moving to know that this boy came from this very, very cold, humble little place on the south side of, south side, sorry, yep. of Canberra yep. and elevated himself to... A socceroo, and when I first saw him play, I just thought, "Wow!" He, he, Tom Rogic and Aiden Krustic, to me, are the two players that, when I've seen them play for the Socceroos, I've sort of said out loud, "That's the best player in the team." They, they are, they are both outstanding. Tom was absolutely brilliant. Then he went off to Celtic, and he, and he, and he's played his role with the Socceroos. He probably hasn't quite hit the heights. Aiden Krustic is proving to everyone how wonderful he is, but oh, yeah. I'm a little bit concerned about Tom's next move. Uh, not that I would ever be arrogant enough to give him advice as to where <laughs> that should be, but I, I hope he makes a decision and he moves somewhere. And if that is to Melbourne City or to Brisbane Raw or to Perth Glory or to Central Coast Mariners, I hope he makes a decision that truly makes him happy because there seems to be a, a growing feeling that he's he feels a little bit, I won't say lost, but he feels a little bit unhappy where he is right now That's and he's looking for something else. So a, I, inter- I, interesting I, comment from you because uh, 
I was listening earlier today to a 15, 16-minute um, interview with um, uh, Nick Kyrgios. And mm. Nick Kyrgios was talking about um, – uh, they asked him why he had taken so much time uh, on, on the court um, with his head down. And he, and he sat there and he said, I, I was just thinking how far I've come in such a short time. He said, because over the last couple of years, there were many times when I thought I've fallen out of love with this game. Um, mm. I don't want to play it. I've been playing it since I was seven and this, that and the other. Uh, he, he was thinking uh, self-harm. He was thinking all those terrible things uh, that we don't want our, our young men and women to have to go through. But he was brave enough on global television to, to actually open up for a moment and give us a glimpse of some of the the things that rush through his mind at a million miles an hour. And I'm reminded of just how complicated a world we live in today and the challenges of young men and women who've had to, you know, address and, and, and start to live their lives in the world of social media. Uh, we've had, yeah. No one's had any training into social media. And, yeah. and I can tell you that to- the levels of toxicity, had they been around when I started in television 100 years ago, um, I may well have rethought some of the things that I that I was doing or was prepared to do. So yeah. I, I marvel um, at at um, the last uh, few days or uh, of this uh, remarkable campaign that um, young Kyrgios is mounting. He has his doubters. He has his his not uh, his, uh, his naysayers and critics. And Lord knows there are a few of them, and they come from everywhere. But I'm reminded also of what a prodigious talent he is. Now, does that let him off? No, no, it doesn't let him off. But he's also growing. Yes, he's a late bloomer. Uh, he's 27. But the young Rogic is also going through some challenges. I'm not suggesting for one moment they're the same. But there might be some things that uh, have also um, uh, chilled him when it comes to you know, how much he loves the game or doesn't love the game. Um, we and wish it's him, interesting. Yeah, that we wish him all the best. It. Yeah, and and Tom Rogic is probably well. I mean, I'm I'm not guessing at this. This is reasonably well informed, but I doubt he's had a more stronger advocate than Ange Postecoglou through his career. Too yeah, shame. Has always been there, and he loves Tom, and that's why he's there at Celtic, or has been there at Celtic Plain. So the. After the season they've just had, for Tom to now be looking a little bit lost and looking elsewhere and not feeling comfortable, that that sort of suggests that there's something inside him that's, that he's not fulfilling right now and he needs to look elsewhere. So I just hope that he finds that place and he, he lands somewhere where we can still see Tom play for the next five, six, seven years because at his age, he's got plenty of football in front of him. And also, from a soccer root perspective, that's important that we do that because I still think if we pick our best 11 at a World Cup, I still think Tom Rogic is a part of it. You know what? We're in the World Cup and we're playing Tunisia. We're playing um, who else? France and Denmark. France and Denmark. Denmark. I reckon, you know what? Denmark are a very good side. Don't mark my words. But um, uh, but they're, they're beatable. I'm well, not saying we, we're going to beat we them. We got a draw against them in 2018. Correct. I know it's four years is Correct. a long time. Correct. But still. And it's all about attitude. And I'm reminded time and time and time again how, mm. how, life, how different life can be when you, you adopt a different 
mentality, a different attitude. Positivity is everything. Not everyone can do it and, and actually walk the walk. You know, a lot of people can pretend, uh, but if they can, if we can all get them on the same page, you only have to do it for one or two games to get to the next yeah. level. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Anyway, um, listen, Stuart, it's been terrific uh, chatting and, and, and chewing the fat about uh, a number of different topics. Thank you for, um, for joining us today and helping us get through what has been an hour and a half of, uh, of uh, uh, a very busy hour on FNR. Uh, I, I trust we can find you and do some more because I know you're getting yourself ready for another long gig. You've got a uh, second test coming up, Australia, Sri Lanka, in Sri Lanka. Um, and um, the first test only lasted three days. And, well, I've heard reports this afternoon that I think at least five Sri Lankans are down with COVID. Oh, so no. Dear, dear. It, it looks, it, yeah, the game appears to be going ahead, but it's certainly going to be a big challenge. And then we move on to a, a feast. Of, with, you know, we've got A-League obviously not too far away, but the builders and... and all sorts of things happening. So it is a busy, busy time, but it has been an absolute pleasure to talk, George. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. I'm getting myself ready to see Crystal Palace uh, play at the MCG. And uh, Patrick Vieira has managed to do something that I didn't think anyone could do uh, at uh, Crystal Palace. He's made them look like a unit and a half. Yeah. And (laughs) they had some results. No, no, they had some results. And he's managed to find some young players uh, who have got the skills uh, and they also understand how to entertain. And that wasn't always the case at Crystal Palace. Definitely not. A very, very uh, stark difference from, from Roy Hodgson football. Oh, yeah, to yeah, the absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Say that again. All right, my friend, look after yourself. Talk to you soon. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Stuart Thomas joining us on FNR. Uh, Lockie, it's been, as I said, a very uh, lengthy hour and I notice it stretched to an hour and a half. Yeah. So once again, thank you for allowing me to, thank you for allowing me to, as they say, expand that hour. They say, how can you do that? Only on FNR. (laughs) Can you put 90 minutes into an hour? (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I will see you again uh, next week. You got it, my boy. You're listening to the state of our football nation on FNR.